The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Looking forward to our time together. And for those that are joining us on live stream and who will watch the recording, welcome to this uh, chapel on the first day of the final week of classes in a year that <clears throat> we probably won't, but we would like to forget in many ways. But as Dean Porcella prayed, there is much for which to be grateful. The Lord has been very gracious, and it has been encouraging uh, to see how the Karen community has rallied uh, this year for uh, the good work that was put in by the faculty and staff and by you as students to maintain Christian community. And I do want to bring this final installment <clears throat> of the series for the year, taking one another seriously, thinking biblically about our relationship with one another. So today, I want to wrap up that series with some concluding thoughts and some practical suggestions for you to maintain community even as we're apart from one another over the next few months. <clears throat> you know, this morning I want to talk about the issue of care and prayer for one another specifically. And as I was thinking about this issue and what it means to pray for one another, I <clears throat> was reading several passages of Scripture and giving it some thought and came to the conclusion <clears throat> that our praying for one another is directly tied to our caring for one another. And I don't necessarily mean in terms of uh, giving care to one another, although I think that prayer is a form of giving care. What I mean is the sense of caring in terms of finding value, of it mattering, of contemplating and considering one another, of uh, being mindful of the other. It's a critically important part of Christian community and what it means to take seriously our relationship to one another. In fact, uh, with all the things that we've talked about this year, loving one another, forgiving one another, respecting one another, encouraging one another, exhorting one another, uh, they're all tied back to the verse that we've been focusing on all year, the passage of Scripture, and I think in particularly this idea of caring and praying for one another is as well. <clears throat> the passage we've been focusing on as a university this year includes verses 3, and three, 4, and 5 from Philippians chapter 2, where we read this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to also to the interests of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That the mind of Christ is a humble mind, that looks not only to our own interests, but the interests of others, and doesn't act out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counts others more significant than ourselves. And if we're doing that, we count others more significant than ourselves. If we're looking not only to our own interests, but the interests of others, there's no other conclusion to come to other than we are compelled, not just obligated in a sense of requirement as Christians, but compelled, motivated, inspired, inclined, to be praying for one another. It's tied to this issue. We see it in the life of Jesus Christ and his humility as demonstrated, which when we find him in the garden prior to his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, what is he doing? Praying and praying for his disciples. It is that desire to have the mind of Christ where we find ourselves inclined to be praying for one another. 
to be praying for our brothers and sisters, to be praying for the church, Christians at large, to pray for our enemies and those who would oppose us, to be people of prayer. But in this sense of taking one another seriously, it is a mark of our Christian relationship with one another to be praying for one another. And in so doing, demonstrate that we care about one another. That we don't, and and by that, I mean we are not indifferent to one another. That we actually have interest in one another. I've been wrestling with this all year in this series and thinking over and over again. And the one phrase from from Philippians 2 that I, I just can't stop thinking about is that we look not only to our own interests, but to the interests of others and how confronting it is to actually look to the interests of others. And I don't think that means giving everybody what they want. I, I'm, I'm a parent who raised two kids. I've, I've, I don't think that that's what this means. It means that you are not indifferent to what is in the best interest of others. In fact, you are not just not indifferent to it or disinterested in it, but you care about it. You are considering what is in the best interest of others. That is, as Philippians tells us, what it means to have the mind of Christ. That kind of humility, that kind of demonstration of concern for the other. And so today what I want to do is conclude this semester and this year-long series by thinking about the exhortation at the end of the book of Ephesians about the posture of the Christian, which is to be a prayerful posture. I chose this series at the beginning of the year because we all knew as the year was unfolding that it was going to be a challenging year for people in general. not just for the university facing COVID and all of the tensions that were out there, the political, cultural, social, racial tensions that were out there, but what it means for us in the midst of all of that to be distinctly and intentionally Christian, biblical, in our looking at one another, in our, in our, in our uh, relationship with one another, in our thinking about one another, and our treatment of one another. There is no room for us to be disinterested or indifferent or critical or discriminatory or in any way judgment. Our obligation to have the mind of Christ requires that we look upon one another through that lens, that we are brothers and sisters bought with a price. And so this year I wanted us to think about it because I don't want us responding to the issues of our day and the tensions that exist between human beings and the tensions that exist between us as fellow Christians in the same way the world does. We have a higher calling, an obligation to love one another, to forgive one another, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to respect one another, and to care and to pray for one another. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is ending this letter to these Christians who are facing hardship and the prospect of increased hardship. And in Ephesians 6, he gives us that outlining of the armor of God that we're to wear because we are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And he concludes it with this sort of exhortation to be prayerful, You know, in Philippians, the verse for the year from Philippians 2, at the end of that book, remember, Paul encourages the church not to be anxious for anything, but in all things, in thanksgiving and prayer and supplication. Even that letter ends with the exhortation to pray. 
And so here in, in Philippians chapter 6, we see this after a very sort of dramatic explanation that the Christian life is a spiritual war. That there are forces at work seeking to tear us asunder individually and to tear us asunder from one another. To divert us from the purpose of living out and proclaiming the gospel to a world that needs that. All of those things, it's spiritual warfare. All the ideas and ideologies and philosophies of the world around us vying for our attention, seeking to pull us away from the things that matter. All of the things that are an assault on us personally, our fears and anxieties, the doubts that rise up, the things that will divide us against one another. The, the apostle is writing to the church saying, you are in a spiritual warfare. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood. And he outlines all of these things from the belt of truth and the shoes of readiness. And he concludes it with this passage that Dean Porcello read. That in all circumstances we take up the shield of faith. And that's what helps us extinguish the flaming darts. And we take up the helmet of salvation. If you heard me preach on this before, those are really important. It's impossible to go into battle without faith in God. And then one of the things that's interesting is sort of just coming to the conclusion before he gets to the postures, you have the shield of faith, which enables you to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy, and you have the helmet of salvation, which means, right, we don't worry about ourselves because we possess the shield of faith and we're wearing the helmet of salvation. And that enables us to pray for others and to consider the needs of others more important than our own. We don't worry about ourselves because we possess the helmet of salvation. And do you know what that means, brothers and sisters? It means that for the Christian, there is no such thing as a fatal blow. We wear the helmet of salvation that even if we lose our life, we are with the Lord forever. To live is Christ, to die is gain. There is no fatal blow for the Christian. We wear the helmet of salvation. And we take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He's given us all we need to survive, not only survive, but to fight and to advance in this spiritual warfare. And at the conclusion of that, what he says is very powerful. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and for me. It's interesting to me as I read through the New Testament. You should see this as you do this. Read through the New Testament. The number of times the Apostle Paul shares with the early church that he is praying for them as well as the number of times that he is asking them to pray for him. From the very beginning of the church, this is what Christians do. We pray for one another. In the beginning of this book, Ephesians, Paul actually says that in chapter 1, verse 15. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I have not stopped praying for you. Paul says that in almost every letter to every church. He also beseeches them to pray for him and for one another. From the very beginning of the Christian church, this is what we do. And so if we're not doing it, if we're not taking the time to pray for one another, to pray for others, to pray for the church, 
Something is amiss. It's the posture of a Christian in walking out the Christian life, in fighting this spiritual warfare. We are, if we're going to consider the interests of others, it compels us to pray for one another. Listen, I, I, I say this to you often. I say it to every group of prospective students that are on campus. We are committed to praying for you. But I've been at this now uh, for... almost 30 years, and I can't recall a year where I and my colleagues on the faculty, staff, administration, and board have prayed more for you as students. Have prayed more for prospective students and their families. Have prayed more for the faculty and staff. I can't recall a year in almost 30 where we prayed more than we have this year. Why? Well, this was a year. But we care. We've talked from the beginning of the summer in making plans for this year about the burden that would be on our community at every level, from the pandemic to the, the, the social and cultural issues and the racial, at every level, we were talking about the tensions and the pressures that would be on all of you and all of us. And we have prayed all year because we care, and it's what Christians do for one another. If you just think about it, when the context is challenging and you know people are feeling the burden, you have a choice. You have so much time in a day. You can sit and contemplate your own situation. You can sit and, and ease your own wounds. You can sit and reflect upon the ways you've been wronged or the ways that you're hurting or the ways that you're overwhelmed. And all those things are fine to reflect on and to think on. But you only have so much time when you actually discipline yourself, as the scripture says, to pray with thanksgiving for others, it actually has a healing effect on the community and on you. It's what Christians have done for one another from the very beginning. If we take our faith in Christ and our following of Jesus seriously, we necessarily take our relationships with one another seriously. And there's no way to do that without committing ourselves to praying for one another. I believe, and I become more convinced with every year the Lord gives me on this earth, that our desire to follow the Lord Jesus, our drive, our want to in the Christian life, is a critical issue. And I have not met a person who is committed to praying for others and the needs of the church and the will of God to be carried out in Christian community. I've not met a person who is committed to those things and does those things that doesn't take their personal faith and walk with Jesus seriously. Everybody I know that I would characterize as a prayer warrior follows hard after the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody I know who is dismissive and lax in their prayer life is struggling with how seriously they take their walk 
and faith in Jesus Christ. They are tied together. Praying for one another is not just something we do. It's a manifestation of our own commitment to this life and to following the Lord Jesus. It also has other effects. This has been a challenging year for me because I was committed very early on to making sure that we were as accessible and as making things as convenient as possible. It grieved me when I walked into this chapel and saw how many seats were removed from it, that we were going to one day a week, except on special occasions. It grieved me to teach a class of 68 students and 12 were in person. Not because I think that the alternative is so bad, it's just that it disconnects us from one another. It's been a struggle for all of us to feel connected this year. It's one of the reasons that I committed myself to praying for you as students and for the faculty and staff more often this year. Because praying for one another connects us to one another, makes us mindful of our oneness in Christ, and allows us to bless and encourage one another. All of us know how encouraging it is to hear from someone that they've been praying for us. Every time I've bumped into someone this year who says, look, I know this has been a tough year, I'm praying for you, I feel buoyed and bolstered. But there's something else. I feel connected in a way. I've heard from alum this year that I have not heard from in two and a half decades who said that they were committed to praying for the school and for the students and for me every day. Haven't heard from them in 25 years. That's an encouragement. But it also helps me see, hey, we are connected to one. Our oneness in Christ does manifest itself in a very practical way because we're thinking on one another. We are mindful of one another. I was thinking about something else with regard to this posture of prayer because the faculty and staff has been meeting for a while now, a couple of years, on Tuesday mornings, and students are welcome, although we've been remote lately, but when we're back in person, students are always welcome to join us. And we started this to pray for the needs beyond the walls of the institution. Not just to pray for ourselves in here, but to pray beyond. Now this year, we have probably prayed more often for internal uh, issues and, and internal constituencies than we have in years past. But the idea is that we don't just pray for those we know well. The exhortation in Scripture is that we pray, as Paul says here, for all the saints. It makes us mindful of what the Lord is doing globally and eternally. It makes us less selfish and less self-centered to think about needs that are out there that we don't know about personally. Listen, none of us has problems committing time to pray for people that we know and that we know are hurting. I've got a personal friend, I have a close personal friend, alum of the institution who lost his wife this year. That's an easy one. He's on my mind all the time. I'm praying for him every day. His grief is overwhelming. Everybody is struggling. That's an easy one. I know him. I know his need. But I'm also mindful that there's somebody I don't know who's pastoring a church in a very hard place 
where Christians are being kept in cages and murdered on a daily basis. I don't know that person. I don't know the details of the situation. But when I pray for those needs, something changes in me. Now, as Christians, we're good at this. When I was coming up and being discipled as a teenager and young adult, we all love sharing prayer requests with one another, usually prayer requests related to someone else. You know how that is. Do you know what's going on in someone? So I'm just telling you so you know how to pray, right? You know that one, right? Giving everybody the dirt so you know how to pray. It's very interesting to me. The Apostle Paul calls Christians to pray for all the saints without giving all the sordid details. It's easy to pray. It's easy to pray for those we know well and for those needs that we know well. But we can pray for one another without knowing those things. We can pray according to the scripture for one another. We can pray that God would grant grace and strength and wisdom equal to the tasks that are set before us. That he would have his way in the lives of our brothers and sisters. And that they would be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. You can pray that. You don't need to know that someone's cousin is having surgery and what their name is and what the surgery is to be praying for one another. In fact, to say you won't pray for others because you don't know anyone and you don't know their needs, the scripture doesn't give you that pass. Paul says, always in a posture of prayer with all supplication for all the saints. And then he says, pray for me. And it's interesting what Paul says, pray for me that I would be bold to speak on account of the gospel. I want to challenge you as you think about praying for one another, that you would pray for those you know and for the needs you know about. Pray for those you don't know and the needs that you can imagine are there, but pray according to the scripture, the things that God says he will do for all of us. And pray for one another that you might be used to further the kingdom, that you might be used to further the gospel. Think about, think about, this isn't really a word, but think about how unself-indulgent that kind of prayer is. In addition to praying that God would uphold you this year and give you strength, that he would give you patience, that he would give you what was required to face the challenges of this year. I have prayed that the Lord would preserve you as brothers and sisters, that he would keep you from sinning against one another and rather give you love and concern for one another and knit the community together and keep us mindful of our oneness. I have prayed that the Lord would keep you from the temptation of unhooking and disconnecting, that he would keep you from the temptation of indolence and laxness and sluggardly ways in the midst of a context where it's easy for you to hide. I prayed that you would make the most of the opportunities set before you, but I've also prayed that the Lord would impress upon you this year the need for you to be about the business of Jesus and spreading the good news to those who need it. Because that's what the scripture says we are to pray for. Because we should not just be praying for the kind of indulgent things that make our lives easier and more convenient. We should be praying for God's will to be done. And this I know, that God desires the good news of Jesus to be spread over this world.
and that men and women would come to saving faith in Jesus and grow in their faith and be pleasing to him in the way they live. I pray that you would be a mechanism for that work in the lives of others, and I pray that God would do that work in your own life because it's what Christians do for one another. If we take one another seriously, we have to care and we have to pray. Let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, we do indeed thank you for your goodness and grace, for your mercies which are new every morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that your spirit would use it in our lives to convict us, to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us, to comfort us. And this morning we pray that it would be used to incline us and inspire us to pray for one another because we care about one another. Father, we thank you for the testimony of the church in its commitment to public prayer its commitment to praying for one another. We pray that in the midst of a year when circumstances are bearing down on us, and the inclination is to worry about ourselves and our own needs, that the verse we've been focusing on all year would actually have impact. That we would have the humility of Christ and consider others more significant than ourselves and look not only to our own interests, but the interests of others. And may that be borne out even in the way we pray. Father, we pray that you would make us a blessing and encouragement to one another in these final days. And that we might be reminded often in the weeks and months to come of the summer break to pray for one another to demonstrate the kind of love and concern and humility the scripture calls us to. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Have a great day and a great last week of classes.